Human trafficking ensnares about 28 million people, according to the International Labour Organization. Millions of victims are children who suffer sexual exploitation. So when a very popular movie comes along to raise awareness of this crisis, you would presumably welcome it. At the end of July, Sound of Freedom had grossed more than $100 million at the US box office, but it's very controversial. Kristen Abrams runs the anti-trafficking program for the McCain Institute in Washington. She worries about the impact this film could have on efforts to protect children from exploitation. It can happen in the ways that have been portrayed by pop culture. We know that some children are kidnapped and find themselves in human trafficking situations, and we need to be aware of that. What we know, though, is that the overwhelming majority of children know their trafficker, and they find themselves in that situation because of other dynamics, whether they were in the child welfare system or experiencing homelessness or their parents were in dire economic circumstances and were somewhat involved in the situation that ended up their children being involved in trafficking. So I I think it can happen in a number of ways. Something else I also want to point out is it's happening online. And it's not just girls. Yet another dark side to the digital world. So we do have a genuine problem of a particularly depraved type, and then along comes a movie like The Sound of Freedom. It is, according to its publicity, based on a true story. It shines the light, apparently, on child trafficking. What's the problem with this film? It's doing very well at the box office. I think there are a couple of things. First is that it is based on a true story, but it is very loosely based. Even the individual who's at the center of the movie would tell you that a very significant portion of that movie is not true. The second half of the movie is not true. There are portions that glorify this extrajudicial killings, that glorify raids where one individual goes in to try and rescue an individual. In this case, it's a child from trafficking. None of that's true. The other parts that are problematic is that it emphasizes that child trafficking is a result of kidnapping. And in the U.S., we know that it's less than 10% of victims don't know their trafficker. The vast majority of victims know their trafficker. There are networks, though, aren't there, Kristen, that will involve people unknown to the victim. I was looking at a United Nations uh, Office of uh, Crime and Drugs, and they do talk about these networks that operate principally in Eastern Europe. So there are networks. I certainly would not disagree with you that there are networks and there's organized crime involved in human trafficking all over the world. So in your experience, in your research, what would be, if it's at all possible, a typical scenario in which a child is trafficked? We know who is most vulnerable. And I mentioned that 
children who have run away from home find themselves in abuses of sexual exploitation. We know that children in our child welfare system find themselves in situations that are akin to child trafficking or are child trafficking. I think we also know there are a lot of kids, and the ILO has done some really great work on this, in addition to UNODC that you mentioned, looking at the huge number of kids who find themselves in child labor situations. And a lot of that comes down to an economic need uh, for the families. You mentioned, Kristen, the particularly pernicious use of online trafficking and online exploitation. I mean, what's the scenario there? You have a situation of a uh, young boy who is enjoying online gaming, may develop a friendship with someone who he believes to be another boy. That person may not be a boy. It's really easy to hide your identity, your true identity online. Over time, that boy may be feeling lonely, may be looking for friendship and companionship. And then we see grooming happening online, which then can lead to sextortion. And in some cases, can escalate to online exploitation and even in some cases into trafficking in the real world. And I think the data that we have from national and international law enforcement would underscore that online exploitation is a problem. Of course, we see this happening with young girls as well that really are developing relationships with people online who are not who they say they are. There's sometimes little supervision or these kind of communications can be hidden from adults that may be concerned. And so some of the work that we've done at the McCain Institute has really been to educate and empower parents and caregivers to help their children understand how to safely navigate the digital world. So if the kind of uh, dramatic scenario that we see in this film, Sound of Freedom, in which an heroic individual goes in and, as you say, all guns blazing, takes back the exploited child, if that is A, unrealistic and B, it's not the preferred response, what is the best method for rescuing, because that's what has to happen, the children who are trapped in this? First, we have to focus on prevention. We have to be looking at the root causes. What caused the children to end up in these situations? So, so much of the emphasis has been on this rescue, how do we get victims out, which is very important. And I will get to your specific question. But I think we have to be investing more time and more resources into prevention. When it comes to how do we get individuals, whether they're children or adults, out of this situation, we have to be working with our local, national, and international law enforcement agencies to understand how to safely go into what is largely a dangerous situation to extract an individual. And then really importantly, and this is not featured in the movie, provide those aftercare services. So what happens after an individual leaves a trafficking situation? There's been a lot of criticism of organizations who have used these snatch and grab or rescue and raid approaches because they haven't always been, A, working with 
law enforcement, and B, don't have a plan of how you're going to provide services to the victim after they are pulled away from or in an adult situation, sometimes leave the trafficking situation of their own free will. Just finally, Kristen, I haven't seen the film, but I know that there is a problem associated with uh, trying to deal in a realistic way with the very tragic situation of child trafficking. And it involves these very outlandish conspiracy theories that seem to surround this crisis. You know, how does this complicate your work, some of the, the extraordinary conspiracy theories? You may have seen some of the writing that I've done on this topic. And I have been very intentional to steer clear of mentioning, involving the QAnon conspiracy theories that have become part of this conversation because, and I want to be fair to this film, it's not part of this film. It's adjacent because uh, one of the main actors has endorsed some of these conspiracy theories, but it's really not part of the film. And so I'm trying to keep the focus and the conversation really on the merits of the film itself and on what those preferred responses are. The conspiracy theories will always be there and they are baseless and they are really unhelpful in that they distract practitioners and people who are trying to provide preventative or response services. And they create anxiety on the part of the public that a threat may exist, whether it's in an uh, online shopping experience. And we then fail to see where there may be real or actual threats for the the children in our lives or the, the individuals in our lives. Thank you very much for being with us on the Religion and Ethics Report, Kristen. Great to be with you. Kristen Abrams of the McCain Institute in Washington, D.C. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.